Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week we continue our conversation about the challenge to Amendment 8, which would change the Florida Constitution on three different education issues. Last week, we welcomed Patty Brigham from the Florida League of Women Voters, who is challenging that provision to keep it off the ballot. This week, we have Erica Donalds, the sponsor of the measure at the Florida Constitution Revision Commission and the leader of the campaign to support it. Erica Donalds, it is great to have you back at the podcast. You are one of the few who I've had more than one time. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Jeff. I'll take it as a compliment. It is. So <laughs> um, let's talk Amendment 8. You are facing now a lawsuit from the League of Women Voters that is wanting to... Um, pull it off the ballot. They say it's misleading. They say it's not, it doesn't belong before the voters. What do you say? Well, I I don't agree that the amendment is misleading. I voted for the final amendment as did uh, 27 of my colleagues on the Constitutional Revision Commission. A, A vast majority of them agreed that this was the right way to put forth the amendment to the voters, that it's very clear. Voters are smart. They read the proposals and it states exactly what the amendment to the Constitution does. I think what the League has said and others is that uh, they want to see more details, and those details are going to be um, implemented through legislation, which is the proper way for these changes to be implemented through our elected representatives in the legislature and with the governor's approval. It's really interesting you say that, you know, they can read it. I know that if we've sat through all of the hearings that the Positions were pretty clear, and they did come through and say, we listened to these debates, we read through these documents, and this is why we're, we're challenging it. Why is it that all voters can't do the same thing? Well, they can, and I believe they can, and I think that it's our duty as public servants to be out there talking to voters, answering their questions, and not muddling the issue in the media um, or through lawsuits, through the courts. I think it's a very clear amendment, actually, and and the amendment is all about adding opportunities for children in education. We have the term limit proposal. Um, you know, that's going to provide opportunities for a fresh perspective to meet students' needs in different ways in our local school districts. Of course, making permanent Florida civics focus is going to give students opportunities to impact their communities in the future with that civics knowledge. And the final piece is going to provide more diverse public school opportunities for students' academic needs to be met. And we're going to join 37 other states who have alternative ways to create public schools and oversee them, whether that be by the state um, or state authorizer, whatever the case might be. Our legislative representatives are going to do a thorough vetting of what that looks like in Florida. And all communities will be represented through their elected representatives in the legislature. I have heard lots of people say, hey, I like term limits or, hey, I think civic education is great, but I don't like this idea of taking away local control from our school boards in the decisions on such things as charter schools or whatever, as you put it, other public school entities might come their way. Uh, And so they might vote against 
It not because they don't support two of the proposals, but because they don't support all three. How do you deal with voters who who take that perspective? Well, I've really only heard that from special interests and people who are defending the status quo in education and the education monopoly. I have not heard that from parents and the people that I speak to every day out in the community because people support charter schools. They support school choice. They're actually the ultimate form of local control because they're meant to be governed by the people within the community, and they actually put the control in the hands of parents who should be making education decisions for their students. I live in a mid-sized district. It's a comparatively large district across the country, 46,000 students. But these school districts don't guarantee representation and accountability. In many cases, they're huge bureaucracies that are disconnected from the communities they serve. Families are feeling disenfranchised and unheard by their elected officials and local school leaders. And they're searching for solutions for their students. And for some, charter schools may offer a better alternative because they feel they have more of a say in the type and the um, quality of education that their student is getting. Well, there are charter schools like that, and I'm sure... Uh, there are many that are run by the community or by the parents, and yours is probably one of those. But then people will point to these large conglomerates that come in, and they they don't even have a local person on the board when they come in and propose their 20th or 30th school in the state. Well, those entities exist because parents choose them. Parents want that for their children, and they feel that that's a better option, and we should allow parents to do that. I think shifting the conversation into the type of school, who runs the school, um, what, the, what it does to the system, is taking the focus away from students and children who have unique needs that need to be met in the classroom every day. And the question starts to become, well, who should be making those decisions? Should I, as a school board member, tell parents where their child must go to school the way that we've been doing it for the past uh, 50, 100 years? Or should those parents have many options to choose from so that they can select a school that best suits their child, whether that's a community school, like I talked about, and the majority of charter schools are those types, or uh, a school that might be connected with other schools, which frankly, uh, statistics show perform better because they have these economies of scale and because they have had lessons learned um, through their use of a network. And not all networks are for-profit as they um, claim either. You know, many nonprofit networks out there that are looking to come to Florida and expand. And we should welcome all quality schools so long as they are meeting the needs of our students. It comes down to, for some of the people, not even the issue of charter schools, but the issue of who approves the charter schools. And I've heard people, and yes, they are running for school board in some cases, and sometimes they're just parents, um, say that they want to keep local control of that and not have it go off to whatever the legislature decides. I think that the Florida, what was it, the Florida Excellence? I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was established and then done away with the Charter Schools of Excellence Commission. That's what it was. And they were they were a, an appointed statewide board and it took away the control locally. And you're talking about wanting to keep control locally. How do you jibe that? Well, you've been covering these issues for a long time, Jeff, and, and you've seen the ups and downs, including the Schools of Excellence Commission that you just referenced. And I think that the, the voters need to understand that this proposal and the resulting legislation, at least the model legislation that uh, the organizations like the National Association of Charter School Authorizers have put forth, does not take away a district's ability to authorize charter schools. 
um, it may provide an alternate avenue for schools to be authorized and overseen. Uh, so that's, there's more than one way to establish a public school, and we're not depriving children of an opportunity that may benefit them. There are 27 school districts in Florida that haven't opened a single charter school, and others that haven't fully embraced the opportunities and responsibilities that it takes to manage them well. And so we see an uneven school quality across the state and across districts because we don't have that uniformity that might come from a statewide authorizer. Um, you might know that Georgia actually amended their state constitution to allow for a statewide authorizing commission but still allowing the local school districts to continue their authorization. And although the rhetoric was similar to Florida, that this is going to see some explosion of state authorized charters, there's only been a modest growth of 21 charter schools in that case, overseen by that state commission, who can provide that alternative to districts who may not want to authorize, um, or districts who may not be doing a good job partnering with their charter schools, as we've seen in places like Palm Beach County and now Leon County. Well, what about the oversight that comes from the State Board of Education? We have saw in Palm Beach County, they turned it down. They went to court. They lost their court case. They turned back to the State Board, which then told them, go ahead and approve these schools. And that's why Commissioner Stewart has said that they she didn't think that this proposal was necessary because what they have right now is working. That's a great question because what happens, I think people – Think of authorizing as a one-time event, just an authorization for the school to open. But it's actually a long-term relationship between districts and schools. And so what I liken it to is getting jilted at the altar where Palm Beach said, even though you're qualified, we don't want you here. And the state said, no, they have to open. And then they have to be married to this entity for the duration of the relationship. And so how successful is that partnership going to be with the district? when the district has started the relationship by saying, we don't want you here and, and we hope that you don't succeed. So we want to see an authorizer that's going to partner with our charter schools and help them to be successful to meet the needs of students. It's all about meeting the needs of students and not the needs of the system. We need a school system that puts students first and not the interests of the education bureaucracy. And I think that's where that this conversation starts to get into is what does this do to the system instead of what is it going to do for kids. And I strongly believe that having this alternative, as we've seen in 37 other states and as is a best practice put forth by the National Association of Charter School Authorizers, is going to help meet the needs of students in Florida in a, in a better way than what we're doing now. And people who are against it, I want to educate them on what we're seeing in other states and how Florida needs to catch up in this area. Well, let me ask you this then. If this is such a great idea, why did it not just stand on its own as a separate item for the voters to decide? Because when you tie it in with other issues, it kind of looks like you're trying to pull one along with the others. Well, as you know, we had 24 proposals that passed the CRC, and it would be totally unreasonable to put 24 different proposals on the ballot and have you know, Amendment 30 we would have very low participation because of the long ballot. And we want maximum participation in this process and in people making these changes to these con this constitution through the vote. So we did consolidate those 24 and group them by relevant policy. These are all the K-12 education policies that were included in the 24 that passed the CRC. 
If you look back to 1998, the same ballot measure that made school board elections nonpartisan also created public campaign finance and passed 64%, and that came out of the Constitutional Revision Commission in 1998. Why we didn't see the same outcry, I believe, is because there's a difference in ideology um, in the policies that were put forth. So there's a move afoot to attack the way that this was put together in, in you know, along with the, the precedent that was set and things that have done before in the CRC, because there's a difference in opinion and the way that um, we want to put students first versus uh, putting the interests of the bureaucracy first. To, to go to go off that whole concept, then the language of the ballot doesn't even say the word charter school, and yet we're talking primarily about charter schools. And I know your original proposal was about charter school authorizers. Some people are saying that's misleading. Is it misleading or did it just morph or why is it the way it is now? No, I I did have at first a very focused effort on adding a charter school authorizer in the same way that Georgia did. However, I think the amendment that was put forth and not by me, it was Commissioner Levesque to make it about public schools in general was a great amendment because even I start to think about the what we have now. What we have now are charter schools, but uh, we also have lab schools that are not called charter schools. Those are authorized by the state right now, not by a local school district. So they actually are exactly what this amendment is about. So I don't want to be limiting in what the legislature is able to do and innovate going forward because there are perhaps types of public schools that I haven't thought of or we haven't thought of yet that could come into play in the future, and I don't want to be limiting to only a particular type of school that the legislature could create. We're all about expanding public school choice and making sure that the maximum number of public school options are available for students. So I think it was a great amendment in making sure that we don't get too narrow-minded in what we're putting in our Constitution, but leaving maximum flexibility for the legislature to, to put things in place that we may not have thought of yet. But so you don't think that it's misleading because that, that all it does is take words out more than it puts words in. It, it doesn't really say we want to allow for X, Y, and Z. Well, that's a job for the legislature to do, Jeff. This, is, this amendment was about taking the shackles off of the legislature and allowing them to innovate when it comes to our educational system. Education can be moving so much more quickly than it is. We have several things that hold back our education system from being able to innovate and to compete with other countries. One of them is our state constitutions, not just in Florida, but across the country uh, that have hogtied legislatures and school districts for that matter from being able to really innovate and move forward. Uh, unions are another thing that hold us back from being able to innovate and really take advantage of the things that education could be and probably our own mindset of the way that we've always done things. And this proposal was not about creating a certain entity or forcing the legislature into a box to, to do something specific, but more about giving more freedom and autonomy to the legislature so that they can give more autonomy to schools and to parents to meet students' needs, uh, the people who are closest to those students and know them best. And that's what we've seen work across the country. But Florida has a hard time implementing those types of things because we have so much power delegated to the school districts, which are really large compared to across the country, and their inability to meet students' needs in the classroom because of the disconnect. So 
what I would like to see across the board are more options, more autonomy for our schools, for our teachers, for our parents, and therefore their ability to meet unique students' needs better going forward. I really appreciate you taking the time to go over this with me. I know that there's a lot of of consternation over this particular amendment, and we expect a big fight over it. So um, it's good to have you be able to explain your point of view without, you know, all the rhetoric from the other side getting in your way. So you can at least use your words to say what you have to say. And I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to explain um, my point of view, but also the point of view of the majority of the CRC who voted for the proposal and the 75% of voters who, uh, according to the last polling data that we have, support the proposal as well. I think there's a lot of negative rhetoric around it in certain special interest groups, and you know, the media and editorial boards have kind of taken that side as well, unfortunately. But I think as people learn more about the data and the facts around the country of how this type of proposal has impacted meeting students' needs at their level, I think more and more voters are going to continue to support the idea. Okay. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Jeff. That's the end of our interview and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in this ongoing conversation, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. Keep up on the latest education-breaking news on our blog, tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And please, in addition to reviewing and sharing this podcast with others, let us know what you think about it and if you have any other ideas that you'd like us to cover or any people you'd like to hear from. We appreciate all of your time and interest. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.